Good morning, church. Hey, I want to uh, go through a couple of things I really sense uh, that uh, the Lord is leading us to a decision time this morning, a prayerful decision time, a big move maybe in your heart or in your life here this morning. I was in my office praying this morning and just asking God's Spirit to lead me, and uh, I keep hearing from God uh, some people need to make decisions, and they need to make good choices for their lives, and they need to be led in paths of righteousness. And so we're heading there, so just, just realize that that's the end zone in about 35, 40 minutes from now. Um, God may be calling you to something, and even in your heart right now, you say, oh gosh, that, that's me, that's me he's talking about, um, and uh, maybe so it is, and I would ask you to ask God's Holy Spirit to direct you here this morning. Hey, look, I'm just holding up a, um, an American Eagle Outfitters uh, hoodie uh, here that became too small for one of my kids, and we brought in our box for Operation Blessing for August when we're going to give away uh, tons of food, uh, excuse me, tons of clothing, tons of shoes, winter apparel, learning toys and school supplies to help families in our community get better equipped for the fall as they enter into the school season. And so this is just a, this is just a real nice, clean, uh, I don't know if it was ever even worn uh, by one of my kids, but it's just an AE American Eagle uh, uh, hoodie, and it was just in one of the boxes that we brought. And I would urge you that you've got six weeks left to donate, and thank you for so many of you that have donated. I want to remind you again that it's clothing for children and for adults. It's shoes for children and adults. It's winter outerwear for children and adults. It's learning toys, and it's school supplies. And the reason why we limit it to that is, is we don't want to have, what if we have 40 or 50 families come in but only one or two families can have an item that you donated. And so we're asking you not to bring a lamp because if you bring a lamp, we probably won't have 50 lamps to give away. If you want to give away a lamp, still give away a lamp to Goodwill or give it away to His Harvest Stand or somewhere else. But uh, you've got six weeks left to donate and there are a ton of donations. We're filling up an entire room uh, downstairs with those donations. And I think it's likely um, that we'll fill up another room with them. And so what's going to happen is soon on our first serve kiosk, we'll have opportunities to sort all of this clothing, to get it good and clean and ready and labeled to be given away, to sort all of the other goods. And you know, when August comes around, that's the time where all of the back-to-school supplies go on sale and stuff like that. And you ladies and men, you can go out there and just uh, grab tons of uh, little notebooks, pens, and pencils and stuff that we can donate and we can put together in little packets for every one of the, the families that comes into that. We want to touch lives. We we want to make ministers out of our church, and we want to make ministers out of you um, in our church, and that's just another way um, that we can touch lives. We touched 600 lives just with a Memorial Day breakfast. We hope to touch another 100 lives through this. We've got designs on September, October, November, and December through some missional activity on Sunday nights to reach out to um, other ministries and touch even more lives there. All right? Hey, I am dress casually today um, because number one, it feels good. Um, but, uh, but number two is because I got, I got a quick change after the service into a superhero because we're doing this family fellowship class the whole month of July in the gym. And you notice all those superhero uh, pictures on the walls uh, for, for your children to take one and, and fill that in uh, any way that they want to. But I, had to, I, have to have a, I didn't have a Superman shirt or a Batman shirt, so I'm going to just turn into a semi-superhero. I've got my Carolina pants 
Panthers uh, football jersey, and I got bowling shoes. So I'll be like a semi-superhero. He's like, you know, that guy is so amazing. He, he bowls like a middle linebacker that can tackle pins or something like that. I mean, uh, it's uh, fairly pathetic, but uh, it's the best that I could do to be a superhero here um, this morning. And the crafts that we do are just amazing that we're going to be doing in uh, this family fellowship class. This is for next week when I speak. We're going to speak today on God, the God of power to um, our children and to our students. And next week I get the God of peace and comfort. And we're going to take these fleece uh, pieces and turn them into actual pillows and teach the kids how to turn these, to stuff them and turn them in uh, to pillows. Fantastic crafts that are coming through that. It's so important, parents, for you to come with your child to the class. It isn't a family class unless you're there with your family and you're thinking, oh man, I thought this was a, you know, a great drop-off. It isn't a great drop-off opportunity. Um, it's an opportunity for us to start a conversation about the attributes of God, about really looking closely at God, to start that conversation and for you to finish it. And we're going to give you handouts and we're going to send you emails during the week that help you finish that conversation uh, with your students. So I hope that you'll participate. If you have Anyone in student ministry or in children's ministry, we hope that you will come and participate uh, in that uh, class here this morning. I'm looking forward to seeing all the superhero outfits and costumes and hearing Pastor Cameron uh, lead us through that. We'll do a, a couple of group games and some other interactive stuff that'll um, really engage your students and hopefully uh, seal in their memories some great truths about God uh, in the Word. All right? So, hey, look up at the screen now. We're going to talk just for a few moments because we are two weeks away from our Believer's Baptism out of the beach. We host it every year, and I think we have six candidates right now, and I'm so impressed um, with these candidates. I mean, we, had, uh, we have people that come from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, and they were taught in those religious backgrounds that, well, if you get baptized as an infant, that's your baptism. That's the way that it goes. And at First Baptist Church, we believe in what we call believer's baptism, where you are baptized after you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and um, turned your life over to God through Christ the Savior. And so it's a little different. And so I went through a struggle uh, when I uh, came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 19, 20 years old. I said to myself, now wait, I got baptized as an infant in church, but I came to know Jesus uh, after my 18th birthday. And I kept looking at the scriptures, and I uh, had a pretty lively debate even with my family about it. Because my father had been baptized as an infant. My grandfather had been baptized as an infant. It was a real struggle because these traditions sort of told us, no, this is what you're supposed to do. So we did it, and, and we complied, and we felt obedient, and uh, we felt in other ways that we had proclaimed our faith. Um, but when we really looked at the scriptures, that debate turned to what actually is prescribed, what actually is practiced, and what actually is proclaimed through baptism. And I'm going to share that with you because we might have people here or people even listening on the podcast right now who are saying, yeah, I, I come from a, from a tradition or from a background that did not emphasize what you emphasize at First Baptist Church. And it's a struggle for me because it's like breaking away from some type of a tradition or from my family. It's hard for me to understand why the Holy Spirit would want uh, me to do something that I've already done. And I'd like to just, just hit a couple uh, of, of reasons why 
why believer's baptism is for all of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the first is this. It's prescribed in the Word. Believer's baptism is prescribed in the Word. Upon Pentecost, at Pentecost... Peter, after they witness all of these tongues of fire and people speaking in different languages, Peter gives an eloquent message about coming to faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of sin. And here's what happens in verse 37. It says, Now they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, it says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some have interpreted that as that being an act that leads to salvation. When no, that's not the way that's supposed to read there. It's you get baptized upon your repentance. In other words, my baptism is in close association with my rescue, with my becoming born again, getting a new life with Jesus by giving up my sins to God and trusting that God has paid the price of my sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I get baptized to identify with what God has done. I don't make my salvation my work. I let it be God's work, and I put that work on display through my baptism, all right? And so baptism is not something that brings special favor or saving grace to us, but it's an act of obedience that brings a picture of what God has done in and through us, saving us from being dead in our trespasses and our sins and becoming alive in Jesus Christ. And so we die. I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a new life. And so it's prescribed in the Word. Second of all, it's practiced in the Word. If you follow the book of Acts and you follow the journey, the historical journey of the early church, you see people practicing believer's baptism upon coming to receive the Word of God and responding to it in salvation. It says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, just three verses later, it says this, So those who received his Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so upon the hearing and the reception of the word of God, the message of the gospel, these people responded to it by being baptized. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing, Romans says, by the word of God. And so salvation came upon receiving the gospel message. Have you received the gospel? Have you received the gospel message? I had another religious conversation with someone this morning at 7 a.m. Another, it was about religion. You know, well, she's not very religious, and my mother is very religious, and and I'm going, you know, what difference does it make? And I kept on saying to this individual, it's not about being religious. It's about coming truly to faith in God's Son. It's about having a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so salvation came upon receiving the gospel message as these 3,000 people received it. And then baptism followed as an identification with and an obedient proclamation for what God had done. So baptism says, you want to see the real gospel? Look at me. See how I was changed, how I died to my sin, and I became alive with Jesus Christ. So it's prescribed in the Word, and it's practiced in the Word. And thirdly this, it is a vivid proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very vivid, clear. 
So we insert here Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. In him, who's the him? Christ. In Christ also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, not like Old Testament circumcision, where that was a physical circumcision. But you are circumcised by faith not by hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision that that comes with Christ, the circumcision of Christ. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, there's the picture. Buried, what was buried? My sins. The consequences of my sins, my death, was buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through what? Through faith in the powerful working of God. What's the powerful working of God? Romans tells us that there's a new law. There's a new law of righteousness apart from the law and apart from the curse of sin that that we can receive through God's working in us who raised him from the dead. In another passage in Ephesians, the same word for power, dunamis, is used for us. We have this incomparably great power toward us who believe. We've been powerfully changed. We've died to our sin. We've come alive to Jesus Christ. And so it says then in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, passes and in the uncircumcision of your flesh it bookends with verse 11 God made alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses so so here's what I want to emphasize if you haven't if you haven't faced this uh, possibility this 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 um, this call on you of being baptized as a believer I want to tell you the first thing is is I I've, I went through that passage I went down that road and I sense God's great pleasure uh, with my obedience um, in proclaiming what Jesus had done for me but it was hard it was difficult it, it felt like just kind of walking away from something because it was a, a three generation family tradition where we thought we were doing what the church told us to do. It was difficult. But in looking at the scriptures, I saw that baptism is prescribed in the word, that it is practiced in the word, and that it's a vivid proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, look, I, pro- I proclaim my faith in multiple ways. I've been obedient to God in multiple ways. I serve in the church and do all that. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we'll just serve him also in this way, by proclaiming your salvation through your vivid, vivid baptism. Uh, publicly to others because because the scripture the scripture when obeyed brings blessing when we, we simply want to do what is most closely practiced in the scripture where we can and so when am I ready to be baptized the question is when am I ready if you say well you know it's something that I'm still working through well first of all I'm ready to be baptized when I've clearly understood the gospel of Jesus Christ I've clearly understood the gospel, and I've placed my faith in the Savior. All right? I haven't placed my faith in church attendance or religion or in works. The Bible says it's by grace that you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God wants to recreate you, and it's got to come from his powerful working, not any work on your own. And so if you have rested, as Hebrews says, if you've rested in the Savior and by faith you've received relief from all of your sin and even relief from that sinful nature that causes you to sin and you've accepted this new life that you have in Christ, then when you've clearly understood that and you've placed your faith in the Savior, you're prepared. For me, it was a struggle 
It was a struggle, and it was a lively debate in my family even after I'd come to know Christ. But ultimately, I came to realize that I ought to practice baptism as a believer. And it was just another act of my conforming myself and submitting myself to God my Father. The pattern in Scripture was that people, once they were born again, once they came to saving faith, they were baptized. And so for all of us, and for those listening on the podcast here this morning, you are ready to be baptized when you clearly understand God's love for you and how through his son Jesus, he's offered you a new life. He's offered you forgiveness of sin, defeat of death, and an unbreakable relationship with God. God. You're ready. Second reason for being ready is this. When I desire to obediently proclaim my faith and represent the gospel through the ordinance of baptism as a part of my public testimony to my faith in Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, this morning I've got, I've got some still sin struggles and some sin issues and I just don't feel right about that. Hey, look, look, this isn't about worthiness. It isn't at all about worthiness to be baptized. God has declared you worthy through his son by justifying you by his own son's blood. This has nothing to do with you saying, well, I just need to get a few things corrected in my life before I do this. It has nothing to do with it at all. Worthiness is not in view at all. We obediently proclaim our faith and represent the gospel through the ordinance of baptism as a part of our public testimony that Jesus saves that's it. That's only, baptism is a public statement. And so when we, we proclaim Jesus Christ as our Savior, the gospel calls us to make a statement of identifying with Jesus Christ. And so many people, upon being baptized, and I have seen this many times, many people upon being baptized, they don't get any special favor or anything like that. But what seems to happen, though, is they become more zealous and more committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ because they've just practiced obedience to the scripture. They've sensed God's pleasure in their practice, and now they're even more powerfully committed to God and his word. They turn a corner of sorts to unashamed public profession it's a little scary, as it was for me, but it is obedient proclamation, and God is very pleased with it. And so to even say to some of the baptism candidates that are even seated here this morning, you're going to be out there with us at the beach in two weeks, God is going to be greatly pleased with your act. If you do not yet know Christ as your Savior, today's a great day to give your life to Jesus Christ and to be baptized to, to publicly proclaim your faith in him. And so my final words for you is this, as we prepare for the baptism two weeks from now, is God would be greatly pleased if you, if you haven't crossed that line yet, if you would move across that line. And there still is the opportunity today. You can fill out a card in that, on that welcome sheet and just write, write your name down there and a way, way for us to contact you and say, look, I want to be baptized. I want to follow the prescription the pattern and the proclamation of baptism with my life. Will someone, yes, yeah, someone will contact you and uh, meet up with you and say, hey, look, this is fantastic. Let's talk this through and let's get you ready for July the 23rd, okay? So there's just, there's your first message right there about baptism. But now we're gonna open up the scripture and we're gonna turn first to John chapter 10. We're gonna look at some good shepherd statements and then we're gonna tip back into our Live Well series, right back into Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. But we're going to start first with John 10. All right, let me pray. 
Our Father in heaven, I continue to believe that there are decisions, I sense decisions, good ones too. You, you getting glory today, you, getting, you get, gaining ground today in people's lives. I sense, Heavenly Father, that this is going to be a very good morning in your word. But I would pray even now that if there's any more resistance to the scripture, any more, any more sense of defeat in our hearts, any more plugging of our ears, any more... Uh, double-mindedness in our, in our brains, that, Father, that you would just eradicate all of that, that you would make us open vessels that would be willing to receive the truth of your word here this morning and that we would respond to it. Heavenly Father, that today we would choose to be well-guided sheep, well-nourished sheep, well-fed sheep, well-rested sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was this shepherd, and uh, he uh, really, really enjoyed taking time out in the shade while the sheep were eating in green pastures to read his Bible. And, uh, and he loved Psalm 23 and some other, other passages of Scripture, and he would memorize them. And uh, one day, as he was collecting his sheep, he forgot that he left his nice ESV leather-backed Bible on the rocks, and he took his sheep back to their safe homage for the night and uh, realized that he'd left his Bible back, back there up in the hills and said, oh gosh, you know, I hope it's still there when I get there tomorrow. And uh, it didn't rain, but he goes over to the rocks and, and his Bible is missing. And so he searches day after day after day, but he has to keep on keeping the sheep in safe pasture. So um, he asks around to other shepherds and shepherds say, I haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it. And uh, so two weeks go by and he's just given up hope that his Bible is lost. He's going to have to just get another Bible. And then as he's leading his sheep down their path back uh, to their safe refuge at night, there's another shepherd leading his sheep down their path to their safe refuge and as they're practically crossing on their guided paths he notices a sheep with his bible in its mouth and so he goes right up to the sheep and he goes wow i'd given up hope i thought this bible was lost forever wow i had just given up hope and he goes i just think i didn't think i'd ever would find it or it ever would be returned to me and the sheep said well your name's in the front cover i mean that was the punchline. Well, your name's in the front cover. See, sheep don't talk. See, that's the, that's the key part there. Your name was in the, in the front cover there. Hey, turn to somebody right now and just go bah. Can you do that? Can you loosen up and just go bah? Because we have to take the posture again this morning. Oh, you like doing that. Do it again. Go ahead. Go ahead. Bah, bah. You like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's how we should greet in the morning when we walk in. You know, just bah, bah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, we have got to take the posture again this morning, the posture of sheep. You're still enjoying that. You're still over there enjoying that. All right, do, do it at lunch. Do it at dinner. Feel free, okay? Take the posture of a sheep anytime you want to. But we've got to take this posture as sheep. Because I think at the first glance at the scripture this morning, these are going to be pretty comforting words. We're going to hear, he leads me, he leads me, he leads me, he restores me. We're going to hear some really cool things about our shepherd, some great things. But if you look at a second glance and you take a third glance at this, it's going to become pretty convicting. And I'm not here to convict us any more than the word of God wants to. Did you hear that? I am not here to convict us anymore. I'm not here to pressure I'm not here to push, to press at all. 
for any conviction that's not straight from God's word. But I think that we're going to find great conviction when we ask ourselves in view of what David says in verses two and three, am I really that well-guided and that well-fed of a sheep? It's gonna be a challenge for us. So go ahead and say in your heart, God, I'm listening. God, I will respond. Will you do that? Last week, we agreed to take the posture of sheep and to submit and be satisfied by our good shepherd, all right? Here's really what that means. Submission leads to satisfaction. And in terms of a relationship with God, submission leads to satisfaction, not the other way around, which is the world's way of doing it. If I like it, then maybe I'll pledge some form of limited selective obedience and loyalty to it, if I like it, right? The world says, be a fair weather fan. Wherever something cool is going on, something you like, hey, align yourself with that until you don't want to anymore and find something else. There are plenty of pastures that the world would throw out at us. Plenty of waters that the world would want for us to drink. But it's the other way around with God. It's only in submission to the very good God that we have. A God that is best, a God that is better than any good that we can come up with, that can find better pasture than ever we can find, better nourishment than we can find, better water than we can find. It's only in submission to that God that we find satisfaction. So we agreed last week, in our first week in Psalm 23, verse 1, to say, the Lord is Oh, that's, come on, cheap, come on. To say the Lord is my shepherd, to own that and to say yes, and then to say that statement of great satisfaction, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. I like getting samples. Don't you like getting samples? Especially from really cool places. And, and um, it used to be when Heather wasn't working on Fridays, sometimes we would go to Sam's Club together, and they pass out all those samples, right? And they've got the chicken stuffed sausage. You know, I'm like, why isn't it sausage stuffed sausage? But anyway, they, they have the chicken stuffed sausage and, and these things. And, and I literally have zero intention of committing at all to a purchase of those frozen French toast sticks when they hand one to me, Right? But I just get the sample and go, ha ha, well, you know, hey, it was good, but uh, still not going to commit, right? And I just move on to the next one. And that's why I don't really come back around to the French toast sticks because after two samples, it's like, hey, look, you got to make a commitment here, right? And so I just avoid that. I don't, know, I don't go past the French toast sticks a second time because all I really want to do is take one single serving of that microwave apple pie and be on my way so that there is no commitment whatsoever. I get to sample I get to decide that's not the posture of a sheep the scripture says in Psalm 34 verse 8 taste and see that the Lord is good the scripture challenges you to find anything better than God ever ever you can't Taste and see that the Lord is good. The scripture also says in the posture of a relationship with God that we have an assured faith that says God is best. He's better than anything that I could align myself with. No need to sample anymore any other offerings in the world. God is best. What do I need to know before submitting to the good shepherd? I need to know that he's good. I just need to know that he's good. 
He's gooder than any good that I can pretend to create or to find. There's no better God, no better life than life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said the principle of the Live Well series, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly, mega abundantly. What Jesus is offering, no other offering can offer at all. And so let me insert John 10.1 here because this relates... I wasn't going to do this. And then Thursday, I really sensed the Lord wanted this to come in here. I want us to understand that if we fake it, if we don't come to God through Jesus, really what is happening is the thievery of our souls. Really what is happening is the robbing of our souls. Look at John 10 verse 1. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door... Okay, so what he's saying is, is whenever sheep are all collected in a fold together in a secure location, there's the door. There's only one entrance there. But whoever doesn't enter by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And some of his hearers would, would, they didn't, it says even in verse 5 that they didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. But some of his hearers, that was intended for because they were trying to suggest that there was a way to God rather than through the great mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father and through this Savior who was Jesus. They were people who would reject Jesus as Messiah. And so Jesus is establishing a key theological principle here. There are going to be false shepherds that do not come God's way. They don't come by the door. They seek some clever way of getting around the only entrance to the sheepfold. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking in the neighborhood with my wife and I see somebody four doors down in a black outfit climbing in through a window of a house, I'm thinking that person doesn't belong there. But when I see people walk through their garage door or through their front door... I say, oh wait, that person actually belongs there. But these people, the ones who don't come by the door, they seek some clever way of getting around the only entrance to the sheepfold. And because God will never, will never contradict your personal will, God will not force himself upon anyone. There are ways for us to think that we have a relationship with God. There are ways for us to create that. There are ways for us to try to get others to have some type of false relationship with God. But Jesus is casting Categorically saying two things here just in this verse. First, that there are wrong way shepherds. There are paths that you and I can be led down that do not lead to God through Jesus Christ. There are wrong way shepherds. And second of all, that there's only one door. There's only one door. And that's why Jesus is going to continue to say here in a moment that he not only is the, is, is, is the way to God, but he is the door. He actually he came in through the door because he fulfills Scripture as God's Messiah, as God's Holy One who gives his life for us. But now he is the door. He's the way through into God's sheepfold. He'll move on later to say in this Good Shepherd passage, passage that he's the door, that he is the only way. And so let's insert John 10, 7 through 9 now. Let's Let's take a look at this. It says, So Jesus again said to them, because they struggled to understand, Truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All right? Now, here's the amazing thing is, sheep can't climb fences. Sheep can't find their way around things. They have to come through the one entrance that is allowed for them. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not 
listen to them. What's he, what is he talking about? He's talking about the voice of the shepherd. In us, in us, we have this wonderful stamp of Almighty, and we have a, a recognition by revelation that we are intended for God, that we're meant for God and meant to have a relationship with him. And so whenever we hear something that's false, whenever we hear some type of false religion or some false way or someone saying, look, I'm the way to a relationship with God, our hearts are struck by that and we go, no, that, that just ain't right because, because we're sheep that can hear the voice of the shepherd. His sheep, God's sheep, the ones that God truly claims for himself, they don't listen to that. They don't, they don't put up with it. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you hearing this? You listening on the podcast right now? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's abundant life. Anyone who enters by me and through Jesus alone, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The rest of that life of that sheep is secured by that very one, one individual that is the door who claims to be the entryway into the fold and the, entry, and the exit out back into life. It's Jesus. He says, I am the door. And what do we get from that? Jesus is the only good shepherd. God knows how to put you into relationship with him, and that's by taking away your sin through Jesus' blood. Through his own son volunteering himself and giving his life as a ransom for you and for me. Jesus is the only good shepherd, and he knows each and every sheep of his flock. Would you just 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 play along with me here? Another kind of foolish illustration, silly illustration. But you know what? There are no shepherding classes taught by sheep. There aren't. There aren't any sheep that get together and go, look, we really need to catch these shepherds up. You know, let's bring them into the 21st century and take a, you know. And so, so, so shepherds, they don't gather in a class and the sheep don't put up PowerPoint and say, okay, look, here are the problems with sheep. You know, we're dumb, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're afraid. We don't like to be led and go on long journeys and stuff like that. And you shepherds, here are the things that you need to do. Uh, sheep is never, has never been, since the beginning of sheep, has never been able to say, hey, shepherd, here are my needs. The shepherd has to know them. He's got to know them. God knows your need. God knows your heart. The shepherd knows how to meet your needs. Jesus is the only good shepherd. And so now when we look at these two verses here in Psalm 23 again, we come as people acknowledging that Jesus is that good shepherd. We come looking to align our lives with the shepherd and ask ourselves, am I truly being led well? Am I truly being fed well? Am I truly being preserved well by Jesus? Am I experiencing the great benefits of being led by the good shepherd's guidance? Or am I taking my own paths? Am I seeking my own nourishment? Am I trying to fix my problems, to settle my anxious soul without the shepherd by my side? And so these verses will at first glance be comforting, but at second glance they will become convicting. And we've got to say in our hearts, hey, I'm listening to the good shepherd today, and I really want to be a well-guided sheep. 
We look down that, there now in Psalm 23 at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 23. And the theme this morning is, I have direction and I have one who understands me. No sheep has ever been able to tell a shepherd what he needs or what the shepherd needs to do for him. Just the good shepherd knows. He knows. So in the summer, in the fall, in the worst parts of the dry season, last week we told you that a sheep would know really just four things. Thirst, hunger, security, and journey. Those would be the four things that a sheep would always be about because there was the dry season and there was the wet season. The wet season peaked right around December in the Christian calendar. And peak then, and but then things, the rain would begin to taper off right before, um, uh, Pen, not Pentecost, right before Passover, and then the Feast of Weeks, the first celebration of the early harvest would come. The rain would really taper off until you got to right about now, as it is on our calendar, July, and things would be incredibly dry. And the, so that shepherd who knows his sheep well and knows their needs well wouldn't say, all right, sheep, well, let's just keep on going out to that same place that's now dried up, that has no nourishment uh, for you and no rest for you because you can't digest anything good. The shepherd would go on new journeys and he would go and scout out places. And many times he would have to go up through rocky, craggy hillsides into meadows that were wedged in between the sides of, of mountains or hills where the water, that the, the small amounts of water that were still falling would run off the sides and create these lush meadows and these green pastures for them. The shepherd would know where to take his sheep even when there wasn't evidence safe and green pasture around him. And so uh, Kenneth Barker says this, the lesson here is that God's care is not seasonal. Okay? God hasn't left you, Christian. You're going through something difficult. You're going through something hard here this morning. God didn't leave you. He hasn't walked away from you. God's care is constant, and God's care is abundant. You might look around you and see devastation. You might look around you and see a very dry season, but God knows where to take you for nourishment and for comfort. He knows. Because he makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2. You see that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Listen, when will a sheep lie down? When will a sheep lie down? Well, only when he's free of all fear. He has no, ten no tensions, no distractions, and no hunger. A lying down sheep is a well-fed sheep that is now in the process of digestion. Because the shepherd knows that he doesn't need to just feed his sheep. He knows that they, for their good health, they need to digest well. And so they need to have a very settled time where they can lie down in their pasture and they can digest the nourishment that they have received. Sheep have a need for good digestion. And in fact, many times a sheep dies because of poor nutrition or poor digestion, not because there isn't availability, but because that sheep has not been guided into good nourishment. And so the shepherd knows that the body's got to rest to allow the body to work and then it also says there, he leads me beside still waters. 
There are all kinds of, of metaphorical applications here. First of all, a shepherd would not lead a sheep to rushing waters because fast rushing waters during the wet season where the rivers were really coursing quickly would make the sheep very skittish and it would be a cause maybe for poor digestion or he'd just spend all of his time trying to regather, regather, and regather because they were so skittish and they're jumping around everywhere. But the other thing is the sheep are so foolish that they literally, in trying to drink from rushing waters, they can fall in and be swept away by the water. And the shepherd knows better. Sheep, listen up. We've got to take the posture of one who believes that our shepherd knows better than we do for our lives. When we obey God's will for our lives, we say to ourselves, God, I know that you know best. Yeah, I can, I can come up with three different solutions right now in my mind, but I want to yield to my good shepherd. And so when it's real dry and maybe there aren't a whole lot of, of safe places for sheep to go for water, the shepherd will intentionally get his sheep out of their sheepfold very early in the morning at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning where the most water and condensation has collected upon the grass so that when he takes them to that pasture, they're nourished not only by feeding on the grass but by the moisture that is on that grass because the shepherd, again, knows best for his sheep. The shepherd is very intentional about helping us to lie down in green pastures and leading us beside still waters. Shepherds would often even go all the way to a well, way out of the way, more miles out of the way, so that a sheep would drink calmly from a well than to lead them beside unstill or rushing waters. And then the next thing it says there is, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. And so, so what he's saying is, is that the shepherd there does an inner work with the sheep. By doing all the right things for the sheep, the sheep on its insides, and whatever, wherever that sheep's thought processes and, and will and life and anxiety and fear and all that, that, that is settled right there. And then he relates it back to you and me. What a hard thing to live with an unsettled soul. What a difficult thing. Look, 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 the... The quickest way to settle your soul is to go to the Good Shepherd. To not just go seeking rest from whatever it is that is harming you, whatever it is that is sucking the life out of you, but to replace that with the Good Shepherd and His care for your life. We need the Good Shepherd uh, in our lives for our souls to be restored. I'm going to ask Chad now to put a, a, a video up on the screen. And the video is a picture of a sheep that's turned over on its back. And here's the problem with the sheep. When sheep, if, they ha if, they're, if they're at the a high season of the growth of their fleece and their backs are just full of wool and everything like that, and if they're malnourished or if they're left alone as the sheep is left alone and they end up on their backs, they literally cannot turn over. And many sheep will die unless there's a shepherd nearby. Another sheep doesn't go, hey, he's turned over. Over. Let's do something about that. You know, hey, Ralph, get a leg. They don't do that. They just leave them alone. And it takes a shepherd to turn the sheep over. Chad, do you have that video that you can put up there? Take a look at this sheep and tell me it doesn't bother you. He can't get, he can't get turned over. He's stuck. You say, well, the only thing left 
for that guy is just to become a bunch of heroes, right? Sand- Euro sandwiches, right? And so someone turned the sheep over and look at, after, the, after that, the sheep even struggled to get up on his feet because um, of the fatigue that the sheep was going through in its stuckness. How's your soul? How's your soul this morning? You feeling stuck? Do you have the unsettledness of feeling trapped, stuck in a situation? Oh, the good shepherd wants to restore your soul. It isn't just just rest. Look at the good shepherd's sheep strategy. It's rest, recover, readjust, recommit, return. That's the good shepherd's strategy. We have this notion that continues to grow in our society that I need to rest from this. I need to rest from this. I need to take a break from this. I'm taking a time out from this. I'm taking a rest from this. And many times that could be a very accurate thing, a very important thing. But what we don't have is the strategy of recovery, readjustment, recommitment, and return in our lives. All we have is a strategy of check out. We don't have a strategy of check back in. Let's acknowledge that we're weary people, that we can become tired, that sometimes our souls are unsettled and we need rest. But God intends that rest for proper nutrition and digestion to get us back on our feet again, to give us purposeful lives, to give us meaningful, abundant lives. Oh, come on. Don't just say I've had stuff stolen from me, so I'm not going to let thieves uh, break in and steal anymore. No, let the good shepherd come back in and bring us to an attitude of recovery, of readjustment, recommitment, and return. We understand that it starts with restfulness. And where do we rest? We rest in the good shepherd. We don't rest in the time out. We rest in the checking back into the shepherd and saying, hey, look, I haven't had a well-guided, a well-nourished, a well-shepherded soul, and I need you again. Sheep are psychological beings. They need the sense of the presence of their shepherd constantly. One time we left our poor dog, Charlotte, up at the mountain house because I thought that I'd put the dog in the car and Heather thought she'd put the dog in the car. We realized about 40 miles, 50 miles down the road that we didn't have the dog. We had to turn back around and I had to go back and get the dog and there she was trembling at the front porch by the door going, where's my shepherds? Where's my shepherds? So the whole drive home, I had to talk to the dog and pet the dog. I literally was trying to stroke her psyche her inside, her soul. I was trying to reach to her inner parts, that nervous part of the dog, and say, look, I'm here. I'm looking after you. Jesus hears the cry of unsettled, lost sheep, and he says, I want to be the good shepherd of your life. Why? Because he's fully God, and he knows me, and he knows how to care for me, and he knows how to care for you. And he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he says, come. Jesus is saying, I've got the authority I've got, been given license to take care of your lives from my heavenly Father. And the next word that comes out of his mouth is, come, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If God's going to guide 
If God's going to guide, he's going to provide. And he's going to provide an easy yoke. God's a good shepherd. He's not a user. He's not an abuser. He's not a wear-outer. God's a good shepherd. But I think, I need rest. I need rest. And so I check out. So we think that restoration comes from eliminating. No, that's just the start. Eliminate something, but replace it with God. True restoration of the soul comes when God fills the soul with himself. Come, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hey, you know, another, another thing that I've seen with sheep a lot lately is we think we're an enigma. We're just like that guy that samples everything and says, nope, no loyalty, no commitment, no, 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 I'm not going to ever commit to anything. We think that we're this grand enigma that God somehow doesn't understand us and that God can't adjust to who we are. There's so many times in our lives that we've been hurt, but God actually knows the number of times, God, that we have been hurt. Pain is a megaphone to our own lives to show that God is shouting back to us, I understand, I know, please come to me. God knows my hurt, my fatigue, and he wants to replace it with himself. I am not an enigma to God. God is not misunderstanding you today, even if you are experiencing pain. Even if you are experiencing hardship, God does not misunderstand you, and he wants and he means good for you. And so finally, the verse says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So if I'm going to be led in paths of righteousness, if I'm going to be well-directed by God, what? What comes? Well, when I'm directed by God, I'm always on right paths right paths. And that's really how the psalm reads there in the Hebrew. He leads me along right paths. You want to know why? Because when that shepherd is leading you sheep up into the hill country, into places where he has to go further to get you to safe and good pasture, many times he's leading you up through rocky, craggy sides where one step to the left or one step to the right could mean death. Great peril And so the picture that David is giving us of God, our good shepherd is, is that we stay on his right paths. We stay, even though it's a narrow path, a narrow way, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Even though it's a narrow path, it's a safe path. It's a path that leads to nourishment and good for us. When I'm directed by God, I'm always on right paths. That means I'm not on wrong paths. We're so much into selective obedience today. We're so much into giving God some statement of loyalty, but only selective submission. And the right paths that we are taking are paths that may be just steps away from great peril. Be careful, sheep. Be careful. Go along right paths. If God is telling you right here this morning, hey, you're on a rough path, you're going off of my path, you may be moments away or steps away from real danger, and God wants to steer you back on that right path. And finally this, if I'm on right paths, God is proven. God is proven. God's own glory and reputation are at stake. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to your wife today and say, okay, look, just, I'm just going to prove myself today by my leadership of my home. I'm going to prove myself today by my leadership of my church. Some days I really would not want my actions and behaviors that day to be the proof of who I am. 
but every day, every moment, all of God's actions and behavior are the proof of who he is. He has no insecurity about putting his name on the line as our good shepherd. That's how certain, secure, and safe we are with, with him. Hey, you want to be, you want to be a well-led, a well-fed sheep? Do you want to be a well-led, well-fed sheep? Well, here's the path to that. First of all, submit your life to the good shepherd. Submit to the leadership of the good shepherd. If we ever needed, if we ever in this country, if we ever in the church of Jesus Christ needed decisive and clear direction for our lives, we need it now. An army soldier was told by his sergeant to sort out potatoes. He said, you know, put the bad ones over here in this bin and put the good ones over here in this bin so that we can finally take the good ones and we can start cutting them up and putting them uh, into uh, our meals. And so the sergeant comes back later to the soldier, hours later, and there's, there's only a few potatoes in the good bin and a few potatoes in the bad bin. And the pile is still massive. And he says, what's wrong? And the soldier said, look, it's not the work that's killing me. It's the decisions. It's the choices. Today's the day to choose. Today's the day to choose, to decide, to be guided down right paths, to take the one who knows, to take the path of the one who knows better, who is best, and say, I abandon my paths, and I'm gonna get on his. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Give up your labors. Rest in me. Second of all, obey what you know to be God's will for you because his own name's at stake there. We delight in new, exciting things and constantly doing something different and new. We, we love it, and we love to change up our routines, but God is routinely good. He's always good. Delighting in God and obeying God is just a pleasure that can keep on coming and coming and coming. Obey the known will of God for your life. Do you delight in pleasing God and obeying God? That's something that won't wear out. Because God's name, his very name is at stake. His own name is at stake there. God guides, he provides, he protects, not just for our sake but for the sake of his glory. So a well-led sheep gives great glory to God and establishes the fame of God's great name. So let me just take it to our neighborhood. The path of the Christian begins with a well-shepherded heart. That's where it begins. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, but acknowledge him in everything that you do and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3. Are you trusting God right now? Do you need to make a decision, literally make a decision here today, right now? And second of all, one more challenge for you to take home with you, to think more about, to pray about. Where do you sense the clear, compelling direction of God in your life right now? Where do you sense it? Don't, 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 don't check out. Stay checked in. Where do you sense the clear, compelling direction of God in your life? Where do you sense an annoying little voice that says, hey, look, you're not on my path. I want to get you back on my path. Where do you sense the presence of God, that good shepherd that's not going to give up on you, is still trying to journey with you, and wants to get you past those craggy rocks and back into safe pasture again? Where do you sense the clear, 
compelling direction of God in your life. Don't just say, I need to check out, but check in to your good shepherd. Come on, let's pray. And I would say that I don't know. I'm just trusting God's spirit here this, this morning. But I would say to you, look, if you, if you haven't ever, haven't ever truly trusted in the good shepherd, today's your day. Today's the day. Listening on the podcast, make the decision right now. Call us, write us, and tell us that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You finally recognize that anyone else who tries to come into the sheepfold is a thief and a robber. It's not doing anything for your soul. It never will. There will never be soul satisfaction unless we turn our lives over to the Good Shepherd. Come to Christ as your Savior today. Or return. Return today. Return to that right path. Allow this good shepherd to make you lie down in green pastures, to lead you beside still waters, and to restore your soul. Where does your soul need restoring? And what I would simply ask, I think what God is asking you to do today is to cross some line and make a decision. And so if you're one of those sheep out there and you're saying, oh, shepherd, oh, good shepherd, I need nourishment. I need safety. I need peace. And you've made a statement to God here this morning. Could you just lift a hand to heaven just out of acknowledgement, just in worship and say, God, God, I'm trusting you again with my life. Did you do that? Just... Just some simple acknowledgement. It's okay. Thank you. God bless you. Thank, thank you over there. God bless you. Anyone else? I see a hand halfway up. God bless you. Anybody else here this morning just saying, oh God, I, I just need to trust my good shepherd again. I want to pray for you this week. I'm going to continue to pray for you this week. I want to help in any way that I can. If I didn't see your hand, come see me afterwards or, or call me this week. I want to help you follow Jesus. I really do. Okay? Let's conclude. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our good shepherd and that it's through Jesus who is the door into the sheepfold. It's through Jesus that we enter into great fellowship with you and abundant life with you. Feed us, nourish us, cause us to lie down in these green pastures. Lead us beside still waters. Restore us, Heavenly Father, to yourself and guide us, Father, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you for studying God's Word so faithfully here this morning. Welcome back. If you came from a, a camping trip or somewhere, I'm about to change into my semi-superhero costume uh, to go down there to the family fellowship class again. Uh, we want families to go with their children there so that you can interact with us and then re-interact with your kids later on this week about the attributes of God. What do you say, sheep? Bah. All right, fantastic. Now go, go trusting your good shepherd in Jesus' name. Amen.